You are listening to the Coggin Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. In the midst of loneliness and dissatisfaction, Coggin wants to help you learn God's truth in a supportive community that pursues a full life in Jesus. If you want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.cogginchurch.org. Morning. Everybody doing all right? Good, good. Uh, we are uh, here today to and just open up God's Word. You can open up to Judges uh, chapter 10 is where we're going to be starting uh, this morning. And we're going to be talking about Jephthah's mistakes and its effects that it has on, on his life. My name is Chris Stewart. I am the junior high youth pastor here at Coggin. And so it's a privilege to be able to preach uh, this morning, excited to, to be with you. So we have been going through a series on judges, uh, and so that we don't forget uh, what we have been speaking about so far in judges. Judges is relatable to a dumpster fire uh, floating down a flooded street. This is, this is the idea that we have placed around judges uh, when we began this series. And I think to myself, Everything is just beginning to go wrong inside of Judges. Uh, And why is that? Well, there was no king in Israel, and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And when I look back on just the entire story of Scripture, I see this, the beginning part of all of humanity, that when the serpent came and deceived Adam and Eve, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, we see in verse 6 that the fruit was a delight to their eyes. This idea that they saw something that they wanted, they desired it, and those desires were what got them kicked out of the Garden of Eden. He pushed them out of the Garden of Eden because of rebellion against God. And so their desires were in the wrong place. They were not allowing God to rule over them, which was the exact same thing that Israel was doing as well. And when times get difficult for Israel, who do they turn to? They usually turn to God. We see this in the sin cycle that that, uh, Todd has talked about a few times as we've gone through uh, this study, is that the the sin cycle was this, we see disobedience in Israel's life. We see them walk away from God. We see them forgetting God and choosing and willing to go their their own way. And yet when they're disobedient, God brings discipline upon them. According to Hebrews 12, 11, discipline uh, is painful for a time, right? Sometimes we have to go through some things and it's painful, but in the end, it is to produce good out of it, righteousness as Hebrews 12 says. So they go from disobedience to discipline from the Lord and then to dependence on Him. And eventually there is deliverance from an enemy. See, Israel would go through this over and over and over again. It's on repeat constantly. They would forget God and His faithfulness. And every time God spoke to them, He would actually try to remind them and say, am I not the one who brought you out of Egypt? And I'm not the one who, who did all of the many miracles and brought you to this place. 
So when Todd talked about Abimelech last week, which that was a dumpster fire, obviously, and said what it meant when someone forgot God, it wasn't saying that they forgot, but they willingly chose to dismiss God's rule. And there's consequences to that. Now, I want to point out a couple of judges to you before we get into chapter 10 and and move on to Jephthah. One is this, is that right after Abimelech, there were two different judges in Israel. And those two judges were Tola, who judged Israel for 23 years. And then there was Jer, who judged judged Israel for uh, 22 years. And neither of these men have a long story. Now, I remember back when Daniel was preaching, he was like, listen, if they don't have a long story, it probably just means that they just didn't, they didn't mess things up too terribly. And so they didn't have a lot of things to, to say about them, which makes sense because when you begin to uh, look at the next paragraph and what comes after that is that it's Israel going right back into uh, what they were doing before. The other night, Amanda and I, we were trying to get our a two-year-old to obey. Does anybody have a two-year-old in here? And you're like, yes, that's always a struggle. Uh, but, but we were trying to get Blakely to be obedient. And one of the things that, that you do when you try to get Blakely to be obedient is you have to discipline her because she's in a time where if she does something, she's going to do it. And then she's going to look at you and be like, you're going to do something about that. Has anybody ever been there before? If you've raised children, I'm sure you've all gone through that. Terrible twos. And so uh, Amanda is usually the one that Blakely loves to uh, be comforted by, okay? Not that I'm not a comfort, but she chooses Amanda most of the time over, over me. And I'm okay with that as long as every now and then she comes back and, and says, I love you. Um, but she confides in Amanda a lot. And this particular night... Uh, Blakely wasn't being obedient. She wasn't doing what we were asking her to do. And like the fifth time, Amanda was the one who was going to lay down the law. Amanda was the one who was bringing the discipline on. Well, Blakely realizes that, who she usually finds comfort in, and immediately turns away from Amanda and begins to bolt. And she throws her arms in the air and starts crying. And as she's crying, she's running towards me. Well, I'm like, well, I can't give in to it right now because... We're trying to discipline, like we're trying to help her understand, hey, you can't, just, you can't just do this and then get away with it every single time. It doesn't work like that. And so what I do is I turn around and run as well. <laughs> and so Amanda is chasing Blakely and with her arms in the air crying and Blakely's chasing me and I'm just like, I don't know what's happening. So we just kind of do this little dance for a minute until, you know, everything calms down and, and everybody gets to where they need to be. And finally, we get some, some obedience happening inside of her life. But why I tell you that is, why was she chasing me? Why was she trying to go after me in the moment where she finds most of her comfort and in times of trouble in Amanda? Well, when she was going through something in her life, which was not listening to us, the one that she thought that she could find comfort in now was bringing some discipline and was bringing some pain, okay? And so she decided to run away from that and go to the Father. And so we see this in Scripture all the time is this idea in Judges about how the Israelites, they were confiding trying to find comfort in these false gods, and yet... Even when they found comfort in those false gods, when the discipline would come, oh, it got hard again, so let's run to the Father. 
Well, the interesting thing is, is in chapter 10, we're going to see a different uh, idea that the Lord brings about here. So look in chapter 10, verse 6. It says, The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals and the Ashtoreth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Well, because of this, the Lord hands them over to the Philistines and the Ammonites to be oppressed for 18 years. And so in their oppression, after 18 years, they finally cry out to the Lord for comfort. And we can see in verse 11, what is God's response to this? He said, did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? The Sidonians also and the Amalekites and the Maonites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. And this is the, the punch right here. He says, go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. See, what I believe the problem was in Israel is this, is that no one was telling the stories of the faithfulness of God. No one was explaining what happened in Egypt. No one was helping the Israelites understand that when they were brought out of Egypt and God saved them, that he parted the Red Sea and they walked over on dry ground. And then the Lord made the waters come back over the Egyptian army and saved them from slavery and from destruction. No one was telling the stories about how God continued to provide manna and water in the desert when they were crying out and grumbling no one was telling the stories about when Joshua brought the people into the promised land that the first people they came to was Jericho. And think about that story for a second. They did nothing. He said, go and walk around the city for a while. And then when, the tr when I tell you, blow the trumpets and shout really loud and the walls came down and they defeated them. No one was explaining to the Israelites who God was and his character now, this is a thing that if we are not careful, eventually the Lord is going to say no more and give you into the hands of your enemy if you continue to worship the created more than the creator. Dale Ralph Davis is a commentator on Judges. He says this. He says, there is a difference between a prodigal who comes to his senses and returns home and a prostitute who pleads for her husband's security only until she finds someone else to take her on. Listen, God is a God who is gracious and merciful. God is a merciful being and God and, and loving of all, of all else, but his mercy sometimes is justice inside of our lives. Sometimes it means allowing you to try on your sin and just see how it fits in your life. Eventually you will realize this does not satisfy you. Because the very thing that you think will be your salvation is the very thing that enslaves you and abuses you. 
For example, alcohol, sexual immorality, all of those things. Listen, you dabble in those things long enough and you don't even understand and know that it's happening inside of your life because it might be a slow process leading you to slavery and eventually those things, uh, if you try it on long enough and make that your salvation, they will begin to enslave you and abuse you. Listen, we should not be so hard on Israel because of how often do we do this exact same thing in our own lives. We are called to tear down the idols inside of our lives so that God's rule and reign can be shown through us to the world. Now, just because the Lord is saying no more, that doesn't mean that he doesn't love them anymore. To say that the Lord is patient is something that I don't think we can actually truly fathom inside of our inside of our lives. He has seen his people over and over again chase after other gods in place of the one true God. And Romans 5, 8, I believe is a pretty good picture and understanding of God's love is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You wanna talk about a deliverer. There was a deliverer who came and his name was Christ. And he was one who laid down his life for us sinners who are following after other gods so that we can be made right with God. The miracle today is that God is still saving. So just because you've chased after everything else in your life and what you think was going to satisfy you doesn't mean that you are too far to turn and repent and believe in Jesus. Come to him. Mark 1.15 actually says when, when Jesus came onto the scene and he said, hey, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We are called to repentance. Once the people of Israel repent, the Lord being compassionate and merciful, he hates to see his children suffer. He hates to see his children suffer, so he raises up a deliverer. And again, let me tell you, this says more about who God is than about who we are. Does that make sense? This says more about who God is than we are. He calls us to be submissive. So the Ammonites and the Philistines, they oppressed Israelites for 18 years, but we see as it comes to uh, chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, that the, the, uh, the Ammonites begin to come and surround the area of the Gileadites it says this, the Ammonites were called to arms and they encamped in Gilead and the people of Israel came together and they encamped in Mizpah and the people, the leaders of Gilead said to one another, who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Now, I believe that they're asking the wrong question. Who is going to be our leader? God has shown himself time and time again to be a better king and judge than anyone else. But God calls, he calls a deliverer and his name is Jephthah. And we're introduced to him in Judges chapter 11, verses one through 11. So read this with me. It says, now Jephthah, the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. And Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, 
you shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to find a fight against the Ammonites, the Lord and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be witness between us. If we do not do as you say, so Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Now, here's a side note here. If you ever come across somebody who you just think, man, the Lord could never use them. The Lord would never be able to use them in any way uh, for his purposes. Look at Jephthah. Jephthah was the son of a prostitute from a broken home. He was an outcast and what could have been probably part of organized crime. If you look at it, it says that worthless fellows collected around him and they went out with him. What does that mean? What do worthless fellows do? <laughs> they go out and do bad things. So a man who looks like he wouldn't be the one who would deliver Israel out of the hands of enemies, God is like, I'm going to use him. But Jephthah is not perfect. Thank you, Lord, that you don't use perfect people because none of us would be useful in that. It says that Jephthah begins to manipulate the situation. So what Jephthah was desiring in this was Jephthah was desiring not to, not, not thinking, oh, well, maybe, you know, the Ammonites, are they, are they big people? You know, are they going to be difficult to fight against? Are we going to have enough people to go against them? No, he is more concerned about, okay, how can I become head of the Gileadites? We knew and understood the sole role of why, uh, why Jephthah was uh, interested in this deal. And so the Gileadites, hey, we will make you head over us if you will come and fight on our behalf. So Jephthah gets to work. He's like, all right, you want to make me head over and leader over you? Let's go to work. I'm ready to go to battle. So Jephthah does something that any fighter, you know, he, he's, he's ready to go talk trash, okay? He's ready to go talk trash to the Ammonite king. So what he does is he goes and he says, hey, why are you, why are you coming against us? What's the point of this? What do you got against me. And Jephthah is uh, told by the king of the Ammonites and says, hey, you stole our land. And Jephthah's like, we didn't steal your land. Just like Kamash, who your God, who gives you things and, and says, here, possess this, and you possess it. Our God said, hey, this is your land. Go ahead and possess, possess the land. And also brings up, he was like, listen, king, 
There's nobody that's made a fuss about this for literally the last 300 years. And so why are you making a fuss about this now? And like any good king of a pagan nation, he doesn't listen to Jephthah in any way. And the war is on. So look at verse 29 of chapter 11. It says, The Spirit of the Lord was on, upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And what we believe is that when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, he was going out and he was beginning to gather his men together, gather his fighters, get them ready for battle, maybe even building rapport with those people that he was going to be fighting with. So he goes out and he gathers these men, but he's about to make a big mistake. And here's where you need to pay attention. The one thing that we understand is this, is that Yahweh is involved in this. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Jephthah for one purpose, and that is to lead Jephthah into the battle and win the victory. Just because Yahweh comes upon Jephthah, that does not mean Yahweh is about to be uh, in connection with the vow that Jephthah makes. Look at verse 30. It says, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then what comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering." Now, the problem with Jephthah is this. The Israelites had been so entangled with pagan nations. The Israelites had been uh, really discipled by these foreign pagan gods for so long that Jephthah in his mind thought that this was the right thing to do. He thought that making a vow was actually a really honoring thing to do for the Lord, and yet what he was doing was he was... He was treating the God of all creation, the God of the Israelites who had brought them out of Egypt like a pagan God. Because what you do with pagan God is you make vows saying, if you do this, I will do this for you. Thinking that God needs something from us. Now it seems, it seems nice at first, right? Like, wow. Whatever comes out of your house, you're going to give me as a burnt offering? He probably knew that whatever came out of his house was going to be a human. And so he was so in infiltrated with the pagan culture around him that he was willing to sacrifice as a burnt offering another human being. You see, in pagan cultures, even today, we see people offering gifts to acquire some kind of merit. When me and Amanda, when we were uh, in our practicum class at Howard Payne, we, uh, we had to take a trip over to India. And uh, when we were on this trip to India, one of the things that we did was we went to the Ganges River. And if you don't know, India has many false gods that they serve and they give gifts to. And the Ganges River, there is a, uh, they believe that there's a river god in the Ganges. And what they do is they'll do these festivals where they'll be ringing bells constantly and ringing these bells loud enough and try to wake up the river god so that he can bless them. 
And so we went out on a boat early in the morning one morning because you had to get out early to beat the heat there. You think it's hot in Texas. It was like 120 there every single moment of every single day. So we go out on this river and we're floating in the boat and there was small flowers that would be floating by our boat. And we would say, we said, where, where are those coming from? Well, all the people that were out there were giving offerings to the river God. And even at one point, there was a duffel bag that came by with gifts inside of it, zipped up because you don't want anybody else to see what you're giving to, to the God. Why would they do that? To get something from the God. Now, what Jephthah was thinking to himself was, if I can manipulate God, then I will, be get, I will be able to get what I can get out of the Gileadites, which is leadership over those who said that they would put him in as head. Jephthah was thinking he could manipulate the Gileadites. He thought he could manipulate God. And when we think about this and see this, we think, wow, that's so crazy that he would think like that. But listen, society and culture does this today. Gives us a false understanding of the character of, of God and begins to infiltrate its understanding of God into our lives. How does it do that? Through social media, through the news outlets, through every single uh, thing in place where you get your information, the world is constantly bombarding us with lies saying, hey, this is truth. This is truth. This is actually who God is. It's the same thing as Adam and Eve went through. The serpent said, did God really say that you would die? He actually knows that you would become like him. You see what Jephthah's idea was, he can, he can uh, be control over God and get what he desires out of this. So the sad thing is, is that he makes this vow, he wins the victory, he comes home, and guess who comes out to meet him from his house? His own daughter. So his daughter comes out to meet him. He's saddened by this, but yet he doesn't relent from his vow. He doesn't look at God and say, oh, this God who is a, a forgiving God, who is merciful, I could go and cry out to him and ask, Lord, I, I didn't know, I, I didn't know what was going on. And yet he thinks, I've still got to keep this vow because that's what you do. If I don't keep the vow, then I don't get what I, what I want out of this. So Jephthah sacrifices his own daughter in the name of manipulation. And he pays deeply by losing his own daughter. When we allow pagan idolatry to infiltrate our belief in God, we will begin to think like Jephthah, that we can earn God's favor and get control of him inside of our lives. So Pew Research did a, did a study back in 2014. It was actually a seven-year study that they did over, uh, I mean, that's a long period of time to be studying and asking people. And one of the things that they did was frequency of Bible reading. Frequency of Bible reading, not only in the church, but outside in our world today. And what they saw was 35%, only 35% of people, and these are just the people who took the survey, said that they read the Bible at least once a week. And we always look at studies and thinking about, even with our youth today and those who come, we only have three hours 
in a week that we are, we are pouring into our students trying to speak truth and trying to help them understand who God is, well, who are they being talked to by the rest of that time? Social media, news, movies, music, everything is bombarding. And it's not just youth, it's adults as well bombarding us and saying, no, actually, you've got this wrong. This is actually who God is. He's really not that bad. You know that love thing? Actually, he is love. And so with he is love, you should just go with what everybody thinks. Hey, your truth is your truth. Go with it. He's a God who cares about you. He loves you. He wants you to follow after whatever you want. Listen, we are a biblically illiterate people. And I believe that that's one of the things that I want you to understand today is this. Biblical illiteracy leads to a false understanding of God. Jephthah's mistake was thinking that he could manipulate God into into doing something that God had already promised him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him to win the battle. Jephthah had all of the stories to remind him. And you might be saying, well, Jephthah didn't have the Bible. No, Jephthah had the Torah. And it had all of the stories that he could have been understood and heard over and over again. He just willingly decided to go a different direction because the society was infiltrating his, his life. And I think it's interesting to think about this. The world and their idols had a louder voice in his life. The bigger problem with this is that Jephthah probably thought he was doing exactly what he needed to do. See, pagan ideology had become so familiar with him, he was desensitized to understanding the real character of who God was. And his vow seems great. But we are foolish if we think that the cultures don't have us wrapped around its fingers in everything that we see around us today. So my question for you is, where are you going uh, to help you know God's character more deeper? Wow. Do you understand? Do we go to social media? Do we go to movies to get our understanding and care of who, who God is? Or do we go to God's truth? Maybe an even better question is what Tim Keller poses in his commentary on Judges, that what enormous blind spots do you have in your understanding of God? We have to humbly come before God's word and say, search my heart. Just like Psalm 51 says, search my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the path of righteousness. What you think about God is going to dictate the way that you live your life. This is why doctrine and theology matter. The way that we think about God and how we view God matters because you are all theologians. You all have an understanding in your brain about who God is, yet sometimes, just like Jephthah, we get it wrong. So we've got to go to the truth about who God is and not get our understanding from other places because biblical illiteracy leads to a lack of understanding of who God's character is. Number two is this, biblical illiteracy leads to discipling others into foolishness. Parents, let this be a warning to you. 
You are discipling your children by the way that you view God, whether you know it or not. A year of sports and activities is about to begin. And I love sports and activities. But there was many times growing up that I was told that Philippians 4.13 is a way in which we cry out to God and say, please help us win because in your strength can we do anything. That's completely wrong. And I don't want to step in anybody's toes. Listen, I love you very, very much to say this, but the Lord's Prayer is spoken many times as tradition and not as an actual prayer. So my parents, be aware of how we are discipling our children because if you're not careful, you can disciple them into foolishness. This is why parents are the sole spiritual developer of their children. The home is to be the place where God's word is opened up every single day, just as the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 says, to teach it diligently to your children and put it on the frontlets of your foreheads, on your doorpost, everywhere, so that your children will grow up in the understanding of who God is, so that they won't forget the God of the universe, the God of the Israelites, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who saves. Jephthah discipled his daughter into thinking that this was the right thing to do. And she just accepted the fact that her dad had just said, you're going to be sacrificed because of my vow. Now, figuratively speaking, what view of God do you have that would lead to you sacrificing your children on the altar of your limited understanding of God's character? Someone is watching you and what comes out of your mouth does not matter if the actions of your life are not lined up with it. So you can say, me and God, we're good. But if you're too tired to come to church and to fellowship with other believers and to be discipled and to be encouraged and to pour into other people, you're missing it. I'm too tired to read the scriptures or I just don't understand it. I feel like that's for those, those other people. No, listen, dive into God's word. Figure out something that's going to keep you coming back because you weren't saved by Jesus Christ to be like, all right, we're good. You were saved to live a life lived solely for Jesus to love him, to serve him, and to follow him all the days of your life. But those who are doing it well, my encouragement for you is don't stop. Keep going. Even in times that it's difficult, push through. Listen, my question for you is what if Coggin was known as a people a church who loved the Lord so much, knew him so well that the actions and the patterns of their life was solely based upon God's character and not based upon what social media and other things are infiltrating into our understanding of God. We would change the city because we would be so excited 
about who God is. And we would want to go out and share that. So my encouragement for you today is put down the phone and pick up your Bible. Abide in Christ. Remain in Him. Spend time with Him. Stop the busyness of life and take time to teach your children. And you might think, what if I messed up in this? What if I haven't been good at this? What if, what if I've just over and over again tried to do this and I just don't know how to do it well? Start again. Get connected. If you don't know, if you're like, I'm, I'm a new believer, or I'm new to this thing and I don't understand, get connected with a core class. Daniel would love for you to come and be a part of those core classes that happen during the year so that you can understand and know God on a deeper level. And I know that sometimes theology and doctrine, we're like, hey. we say that and you're just like, you wanna, you wanna step down behind it like, oh, that, those big words and all of that different thing. No, listen, you have an understanding already It just needs to be led in the right way. So what do we take away from the story of Jephthah? One is don't make the same mistake. But one is this. Pastor Zach said this at Sunday's camp. He said, if you mess up, confess up, get up, and move on. I thought that was so fitting. Turn to Jesus who is the perfect king, who came and gave his life on our behalf, go and listen to your savior and what he has to say. Ask for wisdom. He is willing and able by the Holy Spirit to lead you into righteousness. What we need to do is stop listening to the noise around us and listen to him. The reason we have students coming and being baptized is because at Sunday's camp, we put down our phones And we said, we're going to take a break from some things this week. We're going to stop the noise and and all the stuff that keeps getting in the way of of helping us see clearly. And we're going to sit and we're going to listen to God speak to us. And many people responded. Many people were saved, not just from our church, but from seven other churches around Texas Students who were going, I want to follow you. Because they said, I don't want to do this anymore. And they, they could actually hear the Lord speaking. That's what we desire here as well. We've got to stop listening to the noise of the enemy and listen to truth speaking, spoken over us. We hope that you have enjoyed this sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about us or know what it means to follow Jesus, visit us online at www.cogginchurch.org.